imagine actually having a team of Galton, Miedema, Russo and Black Sunnies together. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. I suppose 90 second minute. I've never scored a 90 second minute winner. I don't know what it feels like. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You're welcome back. It is a quarter past eight. We are turning our attention uh, to Gaelic games because there's a couple of interesting things we want to get stuck into when it comes to the GPA uh, situation at the moment. We want to chat through at the picture in Ulster. But we want to start with some of the big scorers, some of the big sharpshooters in this year's National League. Delighted to welcome Cahar O'Kane of the Irish News to the show. Cahar, good morning to you. Morning, Owen. How are you? Yeah, very well. So you've written a, a really good piece about David Clifford, but I actually want to start with, with somebody else here. Uh, in the Independent today, Conor McKeown has kind of collated the race for, for the Golden Boot uh, in the Allianz League, and the long story short is that the race is over. Sam Mulroy is, uh, is top of the standings here. His percentage is absolutely a ridiculous. 59% of loud scoring total in the league so far. He's top. Keith Byrne of Leitrim is in second, and Sean Quigley of Fermanagh is in, in third. So Sam Mulroy's got 344 so far Byrne has got 142 and Sean Quigley has got 429 is it just me or, or are we starting to appreciate these non-Division 1 performances a little bit more that we're slowly edging ourselves towards a, a world in which statistics are more appreciated in Gaelic games and, and we're starting to see these standout performers just that tad more Possibly are, yeah. Um, it, it certainly does the like of Samurai no harm um, his, his profile has sort of skyrocketed over the last over the last few months, I actually remember the first time I saw him in, in the flesh against Down up in Uri about four years ago on the last day of the season and thought, there's definitely something about this man. Um, but you sort of didn't hear that much about him in between times. Um, he's getting his profile now. It's partly probably, you know, the style of the game at the minute as well and that forwards are getting that wee bit more freedom again. There's a wee bit more kicking, there's a wee bit more expansive football and it's, and it's leading maybe to... The sort of the talismanic forwards that, that we made it once known um, that that maybe it got shut down for a few years as well. That's not doing any harm, but but that you know you have to give those fellas credit. You mentioned Sean Quigley there as well. You know, I watched Sean Quigley against uh, Leash two three weeks ago, like and just an absolutely majestic performance from Sean Quigley. Like he's he's in the shape of his life. He's in the form of his life. I think I think he is second top scorer in the country from play. Um, at the minute behind Clifford, which is, you know, it tells you a lot because I suppose Sean would have been renowned as a really, really good free ticker and, and teams mightn't have felt he got that much from play a lot of the time, but he, he's probably bucked that trend a wee bit for himself. And, it's, you know, to have a list where, where Samuel Roy, Keith Byrne and Sean Quigley are at the top of it is is great for, for that level of football. People will... People will write it off and say, "Well, look, they're playing against Division Three defenses or Division Two defenses, but but they're playing in Division Two and Division Three teams and Division Four and, and Keith Burns case." So, you know, you, you have to give them the utmost credit for it. Absolutely, uh, quickly. Obviously, should have one more point as well, which is the the statistic there. Um, it just uh, very quickly before we move on to Clifford, you've obviously seen Mulroy play. I haven't seen him play in the flesh at all. My entire diet of Sam Mulroy's very short clips at, at the end of the Sunday night highlights and just seeing the scores so so what sort of player is he when, when he's not kicking points where, where, where is his best position well well, yeah he's very much an inside forward looking at him um, I remember I remember being struck by how good a ball winner he was that day um, and uh, you know that's say that's come back must be four or five years now so that 
that really stood out that day. I suppose Louis played some lovely football that day and beat, beat down a big shock up in Uri and Moroy stood out a mile. Um, but he's just he's just a pure finisher. Um, obviously, he's worked very hard on it. Uh, and the, the tallies that he's racking up are, are by any standards, ridiculous. Mm. Hitting, hitting 1-8, 1-9, 110 in, in games, like in a lot of it from play. And yeah, I know... Like opposition teams are are just having absolute nightmares about him. Like on better teams, you know, if he was playing up the grades, better teams would be having nightmares about him too because he, he's obviously well capable. Um, and obviously, uh, a huge swathe of that has has come from dead balls this year: thirty five frees, four forty fives, kind of a, a Killian O'Connor esque tint to those statistics. The opposite then uh, is is what we say about David Clifford, right? That the, the, we've obviously marvelled at at some of the stuff that he's shown already in his career, but it is his statistical brilliance when you consider that he's not the main free taker for his county. I think that's a big part of it for for David Clifford as to whether he whether he goes on to break scoring records or not, um, which he might not do because he's not regard you know barring anything, you know really really left sided. Um, Sean O'Shea tends to kick most of them, so it it takes that away from him. Um, and you're comparing him to the likes of of Killian O'Connor, who was you know seventy percent freeze and thirty percent from play, and when you look at when you look at David Clifford, it's exactly the opposite. It's thirty percent freeze and, and seventy seventy percent from from play in across his whole career. Career, he actually breaking down in the championship. He's down to twenty five percent from freeze, seventy five percent from play, and you know six seventy seven in championship football. He's he's just hitting above Gooch's average um, at the minute. He's about four and a half points a game. Gooch was four point one through his career, so you know he's on he's on course. I say to to be, but it's it's not just about numbers. I think that's the great thing about the, about Clifford. It's you know the, the great saying of you know it's not what you said. It's it's how you made somebody feel. And sometimes it's not what David Clifford scores. It's it's what he makes you feel when he when he plays football. Like and, and he's just yeah, I suppose it's the fact that his demeanor on the pitch and he plays with a smile. And I suppose it highlighted you know. Even the, the the couple of maybe rubbish goals that he has scored in the league this year, um, fluke goals, like, and he's still still quite happy to celebrate them and a big smile on his face, and you know it, it doesn't necessarily need to be pointing at uh, at Paul Ganey and Hootie Mark on the kick out, like you know it's there, there is a freedom to watching him. There's a, a, an absolute genius within him. Um, I remember, you know, everybody remembers the All Ireland minor final um, where he where he scored four four, but. Always stuck out for for me the pass for Faker Clifford's goal, um, Gary's third goal, like where he just, you know, he threaded the needle stuff that you just probably don't see at minor level. He was waiting and waiting, waiting for the run, and he knew he could see the run before Faker Clifford could see the run, um, and he was just waiting for it to be made, and the pass was perfect, and you know, you just knew, you just really knew that day you had, you had something special in your hands. Just for a defender, it must be a really interesting challenge. Like the top defenders in the game, when like it is a, at times, it must feel like an absolute um, hiding to nothing. When and I imagine, like if if you're into sledging, it just wouldn't have any wash on him at all. Like, I, I don't think it would. I saw um, I saw a few quotes from from Fally McMahon there, sort of saying that he would have liked the challenge of of Mark and Clifford because he was tall and he felt you know if you get in really close to. A, to a tall player and maybe maybe nobody has done that though I would say in the in the drawn All Ireland final Johnny Cooper got got close to him and got too close to him. Um and Clifford 
probably the reason Cooper ended up sent off was was Clifford was able to roll him and spin mm. off him, um, which made, you know, I, I suppose that that laid the marker in terms of what do you do with this fella then? How do you mark him? Because he's big, but he's quick. Um, he's he's deadly off both feet. He can shoot without a look. He can shoot without a glance. Like and I mean, you look at like Ronan McNamee was the All Star fullback and. McNamee won a few balls off him in the All Ireland semi final last year, but Clifford still took him for eight points, four from play, like and and that was you know he didn't get extra time in that game, so he's just he's just majestic to watch for a defender coming in to mark him. Like literally, it's how it's how do you mark him? Like because you probably you probably need or want cover in front of you, but then that's you know. I don't think that would trouble Kerry at the minute. I think Kerry, if, if somebody put cover in front of Clifford, there'd be enough elsewhere that if teams are altering themselves to go and, and deal with David Clifford, I think Kerry would have enough elsewhere to to sort of take advantage of that of that drop forward, if you like. So he's creating not just you know not just the quandary of him because if he goes and stands in the corner flag, teams are still going to be wary of him. Still <laughs> going to send a man with him, like so. You know he he can. If he chooses to be unselfish, if he if he feels that, you know, the the best thing for me is to step out of the way here and create a big gap down the middle, then he'll he'll do that, and that that's that's the really tricky part for for teams against Kerry at the moment. I, I get I guess like if you're marking David Clifford, you've won the battle with him. If Kerry have lost the game, basically, like because is that it really? Because like uh, as you say, Tyrone actually didn't do badly against him. Uh, it's it's hard, I suppose, like. They didn't do b- badly, but it, I think most people would feel that, that Clifford Clifford won the battle against McNamee and, and had Clifford stayed on for extra time, mm. you know, that, that, that Kerry would, would maybe have won the game because it was a it was a massive loss. As to be fair, I thought not having Dermot O'Connor and, and Dara Moynihan fit from the start that day were were were, were properly fit. Um were were big uh big bonuses for Tyrone if you like that afternoon as well. But um, if you stop Clifford, you stop Kerry. It's it's maybe not that simple. And obviously, we're seeing, I suppose, Paddy Talley's getting a lot of credit for it at the minute, and and maybe rightly so in terms of their defensive shape and and how they're set up, and the fact that the, when we consider that one goal in the in the National League, and I suppose that's where you know we're we're talking a lot about Clifford and he's and he's brilliant, but I think Kerry Kerry as a team may be happy enough people talking about Clifford because it takes a focus off what they're doing at the other end and how they're doing it. It's interesting as well, the knock-on impact that having a player like that has on your team selection elsewhere in the forwards. So they obviously have like two generational talents in the forwards when it comes to, to, to scoring forwards, at least. The question I've often had then is, do you compound that on an opposition backline and say, well, if your third best forward is, is Paul Ganey and your fourth best forward is Killian Spillane, then all of a sudden your fourth worst marker is on Killian Spillane and that's very, very tough tough day at the office or do you actually say well listen we've got to make sure that a good swathe of our forwards are actually just water carriers to help our defence because don't worry about the lads up front we have two or three scorers and that's all we need it feels that that sometimes has been a balance for Kerry over the last little while and they've definitely learned leaned towards having a few more water carriers in, in, in the, that half forward line in particular recently they, pr- they probably did under, under Peter Keane to be fair they probably always I mean I've always liked Armoyne in a 10 for them I think he's, he, he sort of he nearly fulfills both a wee bit. He can he can absolutely take a score, but he but he work like a dog too. And and he he has been the perfect number ten for them for, for me over the last wee while. But have have they always got it right? Kind of supplementing the defence, probably not. Um, 
they probably got it right to a point in the in the draw and all Ireland final against Dublin. But if you go back and look at that day, like Kerry Kerry didn't play like Kerry that afternoon. Um they, it was very, very you know, if it had been Tyrone, if they'd been wearing Tyrone jerseys, we'd have been talking about how defensive they were. Um it was everybody behind the ball. I can remember I think it was the last score of the first half, Paul Ganey took like an I mean, he picked the ball up inside his own half and he was by far the furthest man forward. Um, and Dublin were retreating and they ended up backed off so far that Ganey was able to kick the score himself. Um, but but it was very much a counter-punching strategy in that big game. Um, they haven't always gone for that. Uh, they didn't go for it against Tyrone last year. I don't I don't see them going for it under Jack O'Connor the same way. I think it's going to be a more, a more front-foot approach that's what we're that's what we're seeing but they're also they're also probably getting things right and one of the biggest things for me is that you know Jason Foley's getting a fair bit of credit at the minute and rightly so and it feels like they've gone in there and, and you know everybody talked about no defenders and, and no natural man markers in Kerry and they, it looks like Jason Foley has just been given a, a a gallon of confidence just you know you're a man marker you're the man that's going to mark the opposition forward go and do it and and obviously the help of Ty Morley in front of him is is making things a wee bit easier. But mm. you know it, it just looks like they've been given the the confidence and assurance in their own abilities in defence as well to to maybe be better than they were talked down to be. Yeah, Foley's been sensational so far this year. Uh, just one more thing before we let you go, Cahar. We won't have time for the, the GPA chat today, but you were at home beg, I think, at the weekend watching Galway against Derry. Just a, qu- a quick one on Derry. I mean, obviously early season form was, was very interesting given they came so close to beating Donegal last summer and I felt we were all talking these guys up as, you know, bound to be in Division 1 next year, bound to challenge uh, for the Ulster title this year. Has that dimmed somewhat over the last little while? Now, now I know McWigan was missing at the weekend. I would say Sunday probably dimmed it a, a bit all right in that, you know, Galway Galway were brilliant. You know, Galway were brilliant on, on Sunday. Their first half was absolutely out of the top drawer and and that has to be taken into the reckoning. It's, it's probably the first time under Gallagher in the league that Derry have faced a real proper Division 1 team and, and going in full tilt like, and that was, I suppose that was... The big challenge that they failed, um, as Rory Gallagher said himself, like after the game, we, we, we failed it badly. But the Shane McGuigan absence, in terms of maybe not getting into Division 1, you know, it's fairly significant. I don't think the way the game went against Galway, I don't think his presence would have had any meaningful impact on the scoreline. You know, Derry were flat. Maybe there was a wee bit in their heads um, that, that they mightn't be able to beat this Galway team without him. But... but I still don't think it, the big impact was in the Ross Common game itself, and the fact that he was sent off and and wasn't there then to take what would have been the match winning free, um, which would have left promotion in their hands this weekend as opposed to being in Ross Common's hands. Now, if you know, it looks like from chatting to Park Joyce after the game, certainly the, the vibe that I got from him was look, you know, we we have a few injuries, we have you know, we have uh, Paul Conroy suspended. Shane Walsh getting a back injury, Damien Comer's done the hamstring. You know, we'll we'll do what suits us, uh, kind of thing, and, and rightly so. Nobody could blame them because with the National League final now fired in, uh, they would have been running six weeks straight. So and and then end the championship. So I would expect Galway to rest players this weekend. That puts it in Ross Common's hands, big time. And suppose then it doesn't matter what they're doing, having if Ross Common win uh, against Galway. So they're not a million miles away, but. You know, around team 
nine, ten, eleven in the country is, is probably where they're at at the minute. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Cahar, good stuff. Thanks many for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys.